to another episode of Messages of Necessity. I'm here with Cam McDonald, the adjunct fellow at the Empire Center and executive director of the Government Justice Center. Uh, and we are talking today about redistricting. No, Cam, it's not 2021 or 2022. It's 2023. Right. So why are we talking about redistricting? So the uh, parties were back in court uh, last last week at the Court of Appeals. Um, there's a, a, a new actor, I guess, so to, say, so to speak, uh, the Democratic uh, Congressional Committee is uh, brought a petition uh, earlier this year, or no, last year, sorry, uh, to have the Independent Redistricting Commission uh, do a second set of maps that it never did, that led to the whole process that led to uh, gerrymandered maps that got rejected by the Court of Appeals. So it's re-redistricting? Is that what's happening here? Well, it's an attempt to re-redistrict. Um, one, one of the contentious issues on all this is whether or not the petitioners in the case actually even brought their action in time. So in New York, there's something called an Article 78 proceeding, which is where you can get something called a, a writ of mandamus to make a public officer or body do something. So in this instance, what happened was um, back in 2022, the Independent Redistricting Commission followed its constitutional duties and submitted a set of maps in early January that were promptly, that was two sets of maps because the, 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 the commission couldn't agree. It went 5-5 five, five on a partisan-ish basis uh, because there are two independent um, commissioners that are selected by the, by the bars. But so it went 5-5. Five, five. And so that meant because the votes were tied, they submitted two maps to the legislature. The legislature rejected both maps, and it was supposed to go back to the Independent Redistricting Commission to do another set of maps. Uh, I think it was January 10th that the legislature rejected their maps, so that gave them 15 days until January 25th to come up with new ones. On January 24th, the Republican-appointed members said, now nah, we're not going to meet. And if they didn't meet, there wasn't a quorum, and so uh, the legislature just went ahead and passed its own maps uh, a week or so later. Okay, so in re-redistricting, if plaintiff in this case is successful, what happens? Oh, so I didn't finish the story, I guess. Well, on a writ of mandamus, you have four months to make the body do something. So they filed their lawsuit on June 28th, which was four months after February 28th, which was the very last day uh, that the IRC could submit maps. However, the respondents argue that the time to bring a Article 78 proceeding was four months from either January 24th or their deadline of January 25th. So hold on, let me let me dig in on that for a second. Say the plaintiff is right and they waited until the very last possible day. Why would you wait to the last day if you knew you were going to do this? Is there some other motivation from a timing standpoint to drag it out as long as you possibly can? 
And it's not about it. Well, I don't know that it was uh, the timing standpoint to drag anything out as long as they could. They brought the loss, the the lawsuit after they found out that the maps weren't as were actually fair. That a special master appointed in Steuben County, uh, supervised by the uh, Supreme Court judge there, um, came up with maps that were actually uh, competitive through the congressional district and and Senate. Uh, As so vetted by several independent sources, I mean, certainly the groups that are paying attention to redistricting across the country, some that were involved here, and some work that was done through the Empire Center. So those maps have been vetted pretty broadly and widely and recognized universally as being some of the most fair maps that could have been for you. Absolutely, and, and the election results showed sure. that. Yeah, sure. So what's really wacky about the lawsuit, to use a legal term uh, or not so legal term, is the fact that the whole premise of the from the petitioners who are are want this the IRC to meet again and do another set of maps is that there was actually more citizen input put into the process when it went through the courts than there would have been if the IRC just did another set of maps. So the whole process under the Constitution to kind of go back in history is in 2021, throughout 2021, the IRC took submissions from individuals, groups, uh, entities like the Empire Center of proposed maps that they could consider. They held public hearings throughout the state on the maps. And then they went and they came up with competing sets of maps, which were actually better than what the legislature ended sure. up passing. Uh, but so the second time around in that 15 day window from January, 10th to 25th, 2022, the RC had no obligation to get any more public input or anything like that. They were just sent back to draw more maps. What happened in the court process, and I was there in Bath, New York, in the spring of that year, is that hundreds of people were able to submit letters and give input to the court, submit their own maps again, and, and have their day in court. The court uh, held a session where people spoke for most of the day uh, in favor of their, their maps or their interests, what they would like to see done by the special master. And the special master sat there and took notes all day long on people's input. So there was, in fact, more public process than what the petitioners are arguing for in this this lawsuit today. So um, A, it's a testament to your lawyering abilities, how you managed not to answer my question about motive. Um, but I'll let that slide because I think it's obvious what the motive was. So, well, what's more, what makes it more obvious what the motive is, is that last year, two sets of maps, two different maps were, were struck down. It was the state Senate map and the state congressional map. They originally filed their petition in June 28th 2022 about both maps, but then amended, and they're only challenging the congressional map. So you know exactly what the issue is. It's only about the fact that there wasn't the results that the petitioners wanted in the congressional right. election. And, and there was nominal, if any, change in the Senate maps. Right. The same legal theory should apply to the Senate maps, and they're just not bothering to go after those Senate maps. Right. And if we really wanted to get into it, we'd talk about why the initial suits only included the Senate maps and the congressional maps and not the assembly maps, but that's a whole different thing. We don't need to bore them anymore with. So, all right, now, um, so the case has been heard. There's gonna be a decision in some weeks. I think, well, it was heard on a on a 
on a more expedited basis than than what I've seen for most appeals that go to the Court of Appeals. And so, uh, you know, I guess they're being sensitive to what would need to be done in advance of next year's congressional elections, which means that there's probably a decision uh, to come relatively soon on, on the matter. And it will be, it will be, if the petitioners prevail, it will be a really unique bit of legal reasoning that goes into this. So before we get into that decision, just to finish the thought and timing of the decision coming down is because if the plaintiffs are successful, if the petitioner is successful, then new maps need to be drawn and then they need to be implemented through the process that it already exists in law before theoretically petitioning starts for the next election cycle in 2024, which is as soon as March or April. Yes, and the whole thing is is a bit of a hot mess of competing legal theory. So what you have from last year is a Court of Appeals uh, decision order sending this back to a Supreme Court judge who appoints a special master, puts maps in place. Nobody's actually challenged those maps. So there is there are maps in place by court order that's not actually in question before any court. So supposedly there's going to be this new process where the IRC reconvenes, draws some maps. It's not clear what's supposed to happen next. I guess theoretically there would be some superseding legislation because the legislature would take those maps and, and do what it wants what it will with the process could the court of appeals if it wanted i mean so you, you can see several scenarios that have already existed in the last two years so the irc could start over again they could do their two sets of maps and public input and do all of that um the court could send it back to a special master if it wanted to it could say theoretically or tell me that that's not true that we could just keep the maps we have for one more cycle to let this process pay, play out in the amount of time it probably requires to hold true the law, um, or the maps could stand through the rest of the 10-year cycle. Are those sort of the options on the table? Those are the options that the petitioners are trying to put on the table that it sounded like a couple of judges on the panel last week were trying to put on the, the, the table. The problem is when you read what the Court of Appeals wrote last year, the majority ruled, and there was nothing about it being a temporary order and the whole process under the constitution is supposed to be an every 10 year process. So they're trying to somehow, somebody's going to try to, if for anything to happen there, it, it seems like the court of appeals is going to have to somehow decide that whatever it did last year was just a, a temporary solution to a, a problem. So, and, and to that point, logically you would think because they know it's a 10 year cycle that if this were a temporary one year solution, they would have said so. That would have been somehow acknowledged in the decision that this will get us through 2022, but before 2024, the IRC should reconvene or this should happen or whatever they thought the right playout steps were. So this is a stretch in, in interpretation of that decision that wasn't part of that decision. Is that what you're yeah, yeah, it's essentially a rewriting of that decision in some way and undermining their own, they would be undermining their own authority uh, with respect to the decision from, from last year. And, you know, it's all, and so it's got, there's lots of, angles that everybody that the petitioners are trying to take they're trying to say they're trying to say well we were excused from actually 
bringing a proceeding within right within the time frame that the respondents are saying because there was legislation in place that provided for the legislature to act even if it didn't if the IRC didn't do that second vote what's goofy about that is they're making a constitutional argument about something that took place that was unconstitutional at the time, the legislation, which actually got struck down in that decision. So it, it goes around in in, in 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 lots of tight circles here that, that are kind of hard to wrap your mind around if you're a logical thinker. So, well, we haven't accused anybody of that. But so thinking about being a logical thinker and, and what you just acknowledged the court had done, if the extension of all of this is that we're going to make change to the maps um that the court would be undoing its own decision essentially right this is the even though there's different members sitting on the court this is the same court deciding basically the same case and the the petitioners are hoping they come out with a different answer which would be strange all on its own even though technically it's a different question so that leads into some of the peculiarities of what's different about the court now than when they first decided this case. So there's a different chief judge, there are different members. Talk a little bit about that. So the difference in the court now is that the the author of last year's majority opinion was uh, Janet D. Fiore, who then left the court a few months later, I guess that was the uh, end, end of August. And there was a huge confirmation fight in this spring over uh, Hector LaSalle, who was, um, I guess, made history by being rejected by the legislature and not even initially coming out of the Judiciary Committee um, to be considered by the legislature. Where, and, to, and the Senate didn't act improperly, just unusual. Like, right, that was the, that, I think that was the first time that it happened in the history of this process some 60 some odd years yeah that's correct uh, um you know they have an, an advise and consent rule which is supposed to mean that they're supposed to uh historically i think it i think there was president precedent for the committee sending people out without their recommendation or something like that but okay. that there would be a full senate vote on candidates before now uh, this time the nominee did not get that courtesy until uh uh the Senate mooted out a lawsuit down in Suffolk County regarding that issue. So the composition of the court has changed. Uh, I'm sure that the petitioners are hopeful that it has swung in their favor. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's that um, court watchers would say there's a, a, a liberal majority on the on the court now, and it, there's an excellent chance that um, it would want to side with the petitioners in this case, according to accusations from common commentators like Chris Churchill at the Times Union, for instance. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say that, um, you know, sort of you know, for people who aren't court geeks, um, but are legislative geeks, uh, which I assume everybody who's listening falls into one of those two categories, looking at how a decision is going to come out is a lot like doing your whip counts in the legislature and you look at your body of judges and you know kind of what their past history shows and so that makeup has changed considerably in the last year and a half or a year um and there was an oddity in terms of one judge recusing herself 
from this case. So, and and it's not odd for someone, for a judge to, to recuse themselves, but it was the manner in which it happened. So give us a little more flavor on that. Yeah, um, so Judge Halligan uh, recused herself um, sort of long after this case was at the Court of Appeals and um, noted there was some sort of personal relationship and there's not really been any description of what the reason for the refusal was beyond that. So it's not really clear to the public, general public, what happened there. What was an oddity in this case, according to uh, people with a lot more experience in the Court of Appeals than I have, is that the court didn't go ahead and hear this case with six ju judges instead of seven. So I do know that you know within the last few years, for instance, there was the Daily Fantasy sports case that was before the Court of Appeals in front of a six-judge panel, and apparently they deadlocked and that had to have a rehearing, and it went from a court that looked like it was, had members that were uh, um, disfavoring the daily fantasy sports side of things as being constitutional to one that then actually okayed it. Uh, okay. under the constitution so the whole change in the panel and that included Hector Sal being added actually to be the seventh judge um change may have changed the outcome of that case um in this instance they they did not hear with the six judge panel that could have been deadlocked and have a rehearing and went appointed the seventh right away now so, but, but that creates two oddities in this, right? First is a judge who recuses herself without really explaining the reasons. And then this change in process, if not procedure, where they didn't hear it with six and then decide if they needed a seventh, they went right to a seventh. And who got to appoint that seventh judge? I believe that's the chief judge who does that. Now, I will say that we talked about the timing earlier there's there may be a good reason to do it just on perhaps the they wanted to make sure that didn't happen to expedite the results of the case correct now they also could have had a rehearing schedule pretty quickly i sure. imagine too sure. they, they are the court of appeals but I, I think that you know there's there's good reason to think it was done in in good faith to keep this case moving along right now all right so so now we're to the point where we're going to get a decision and it could be any time maybe before the end of the year. If the petitioners are successful and new lines are going to happen, if past experience is any indicator, this is not the end of this conversation, right? Um, there will be more aggrieved parties, there will be people, and, and it, you know, the, the Democrats haven't been shy about talking about how the Senate Republicans for decades had sort of gerrymandered their districts, and now it's their turn to do it. You can find Senator Generis quoting that on the Senate floor, so this isn't like a state secret. Um, so if that's the case, do should we do we expect the same level of litigation after the new maps come out if they're what we expect them to be, which is more favorable for Democrats? Why else would they be bringing? This case. Well, counsel for the appellants basically promised there would be more litigation or didn't promise it, but you know, predicted it because there is only one motivation for this lawsuit in the first place, which is to redraw the congressional map, which means 
to gerrymander it or attempt to draft it in such such a way that is more favorable for the Democrats because New York is pointed to for uh, as the reason for the Republicans' narrow majority in in the House today, and it's that's why New York's getting this attention. I was did. just going to say, it's, if unless you've been living under a rock, you know that the additional seats that the Republicans picked up in Congress in New York are part of the reason that the Republicans have the majority. So this feels like it could easily be motivated by wanting to change the majority's hands. Exactly. And, you know, the issue is, as I think it was Judge Garcia said repeated the other day, didn't you got what you what the people of New York wanted when they amended the Constitution in 2014, you got fair maps. How will the IRC drawing new maps again change that? So there's only one motivation for this, which is to redraw the maps in a way that's more favorably. And the the, the issue is, is that New York's constitution specifically says you may not gerrymander districts in this, this state. The Supreme Court uh, has said, hey, gerrymandering is not our issue. And that's fine in other states, but New York has a constitutional provision prohibiting it. Right. Well, and, and so this kind of speaks to the reason why we're having this conversation, why the Empire Center and the Justice Center were involved in this fight last year was there is sort of a fundamental and constitutional reason to be thinking about and paying attention to redistricting and gerrymandering is that reason. Um, uh, certainly, the Republicans were likely happy with the outcome because they picked up more seats and Democrats clearly weren't as we're having this conversation. Um, but from the taxpayer and citizen standpoint, anything you do that creates unfair districts is a disservice to those people. And so it's, it's kind of a complicated, hard thing to explain, and it only happens every 10 years, except now apparently it happens every year. Um, but this is worth paying attention to for those reasons. It has political ramifications. It had them federally last year. It certainly has them on the national or on the state level every single year when we have elections. Um, so as we think about this moving forward, how important do you think it is that we continue to, um, certainly we'll keep paying attention to it, but, but for people who are listening to sort of keep their ear to the ground on this and make sure they know to stay involved and, and, and to be involved in that fight. Yeah, I mean, so circle back to the beginning, nobody challenged the maps that are in place after the special master uh, made his recommendations and and the Supreme Court in Steuben County adopted the maps. Um, so these things, they get measured. Uh, there's different types of measurements that redistricting sites, 538 does some things. Um, Days redistricting is another website. So maps like this get rated for all kinds of things like their compactness and all that sort of thing. And so it will be interesting for people to be able to watch and see if this process were to go forward and maps, new maps were, were to be drawn, you've got a good set of maps to compare them to right now. Um, so people should be paying attention to see just how things are changed. You'll be able to compare the lines and see what's taking place and what's being done to attempt to disenfranchise voters. It's not really a happy message. <laughs> But we'll keep watching. We'll keep watching. All right. That's it for uh, Messages and Necessity this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks. For more news and analysis, visit our website and sign up for email updates at empirecenter.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Empire Center.